1: Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz, check it out,
2: do-do-do, do do Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz, brought to you by Library Love Fest.
0: Hi, this is Lainey. Welcome back to the Library Love Fest podcast. And today we are joined by Executive Editor William Morrow, Lucia Macro, and she has a very special author guest. So I'm gonna give it to Lucia.
2: I know, I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> um hi, this is Lucia
2: Macro. I'm here with um Elise Hooper, who is the author of the upcoming novel Fast Girls. And I'm so excited to be bringing Elise and this novel to you all. I think there's so much to talk about. So Fast Girls, Elise. first I'll talk about Elise. Elise is a New Englander by birth, and you say you're also a New Englander at heart. And But right now you live in Seattle with your husband and your two young daughters, and you teach history and literature, correct? I do. You do. And Fast Girls, this is such a cool novel. This is... Um, based on true events, as yes. usual, you have done your amazing research. And this is about female athletes during the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin in Nazi Germany. And it what is. I think is so fascinating about this, and we'll talk a lot about the book, is you know this is the Jesse Owens Olympics. And everybody right. often thinks of him, and rightfully so. Right. Um, but there was so much more going on. And what I love about this story is you bring together... Uh, Well, you focus on three women of the Olympic – it's the track and field team, correct? Right. And they – they come together, and they're from very different worlds. Yes. And yes. so I thought, you know, first let's talk about them and their stories are like, you know, stranger than fiction. I think they if, are. If you had made this made up, up, people would be like, never <laughs> happened.
1: No, I couldn't have made it up. And and to be honest, whenever I have talked about working on this book with people, people are always amazed that there were women at this mm-hmm. Olympics. And so right then, I knew I was on the right track because haha <laughs> Track, um, because <laughs> this was a surprise to me and to to everyone I've talked to. I mean, really, the focus has been on Jesse, and then of course the wonderful books like Boys in the Boat and mm-hmm. Unbroken with Louis Zamperini. Mm-hmm. So we know a fair amount now about some male athletes, but the women really come as a complete surprise. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I focus on three three athletes. Um, the first is Betty Robinson from Chicago. And she is actually the first woman to win a gold medal the first year that women are allowed to compete in track and field. And that's Mm -hmm. in 1928 in Amsterdam. And she really arrives as a real underdog in Amsterdam. She's, um, I think she was 16 years old. She was young. Yeah. She turned 17 there. And she had been running for the train one day after school and one of her teachers saw her who also happened to coach the track team and he kind of thought, huh, she looks really fast. And sure enough, he ran a time trial with her. She had a fast time and she really only runs a couple of races before she is qualified to go to the Olympics and she finds herself in Amsterdam and she wins. Uh, And so... Right then and there she comes back as this real golden girl I was and everyone say she's like America's little running sweetheart. Yes, she yeah, she was. I mean, Amelia Earhart was big news at the time too and she had just had a ticker tape parade in Chicago shortly before Betty got home. So, yes, these women were feted and and seen as really unusual and special and and then at the same time throughout the country there are some of these other women who are mm-hmm. who are starting to run and seeing that they can compete in the olympics and so there's also louise stokes who's in malden massachusetts and she was a young woman who had been running her whole life she enjoyed running and slowly the people around her start telling her that there is potential for for running you know running beyond just mm-hmm. malden and so, and she is one of the few um black girls in the town. Mm-hmm. So she has an unusual path herself of getting to these Olympics. And she'll eventually we'll see her at 32 and then in 1936 again. Mm-hmm. And then there's Helen Stevens, the Fulton Flash. I should also say that Louise was the Malden meteor. <laughs> I love <laughs> I the loved nicknames. It. I loved it. <laughs> And Helen is in Fulton, Missouri, and she is a real tomboy and fast and playing all these games against the boys in her class and eventually one of the track coaches at her school. And I I should also point out that when I talk about these track coaches, they're only coaching the boys. There Mm -hmm. are no girls track teams at this time. And so this man sees Helen playing basketball, actually, and he sees her talent Her her amazing athleticism and he runs a time trial with her the next day and lo and behold she has an amazing time as well and so she spends about a year and a half uh, racing throughout the United States building credibility and she is kind of the big hope for the U S women as they all head off to Berlin because she was she was truly amazing. In fact, the record she'll set in Berlin in 1936 holds up for about 20 more years. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Until Wilma Rudolph in 1960 overturns it. That's amazing. It really is because the men, as much as we've known more about the men like Jesse, their records did not hold this long. I mean, Helen was was truly remarkable.
2: And and what I, what I loved, well, what, I mean, I loved so much about the book, but what I do think is so interesting is now we look at the Olympics and it's sort of, um, it's almost like um, an industrial, not an industrial, mm. but it's, it, you know, it's like a media yeah. Yeah. athletic kind of machine. Like it people, is they train yes. and there's so much attention. And these women were sort of like running out around in fields, oh, <laughs> like yeah. in the middle and- of nowhere and they had no funding and they had oh, no, no support. None. And they had to find their own ways over. And- yes,
1: yes. It's true. I mean, even the men, to a certain degree, the men's teams were all pretty ha- you know, uh, unprofessional right. by today's standards, too. But the women, you're absolutely right. In fact, when these women of 1936 all arrive in New York to get on the boat that will send them to Berlin, they are told, hey, by the way, we're actually only going to pay the fare for a few of you. Right. Um, the rest of you have to raise five hundred dollars to to come over on these games, and so for most of the women, I mean, five hundred dollars in nineteen thirty-six was a lot of money, that's a tall order. And so, for example, Betty Robinson sells some of um, the treasures she receives, the jewelry and things she she received oh. in nineteen twenty-eight to to raise funding for her trip. A lot of towns chipped in. Louisa's mm-hmm. town of Malden, her church and her town really chipped in to to raise the money for her. So. I mean, I think what the 1936 games are so interesting, obviously because of the politics of the time and, and mm-hmm. Hitler really, the Olympics as we know them today are, are largely a result of Hitler uh, creating this spectacular event that he could really draw the world's attention to. So the the torch relay, things like that, those are all... That's all from those Berlin Olympics, right? And the big—he built the big stadium, and he had it all filmed, and absolutely. So he really created a spectacle, but at the same time. I think the other really interesting thing about this Olympics is the fact that it was the the Great Depression. And so these athletes mm-hmm. in the United States were really cobbling things together to do the best they could for their training, to to get to some of these races. I mean, times were pretty desperate for a lot of mm-hmm. these women and men, for that matter, too, for all of these athletes.
2: And what I think is also interesting, and I'm not sure, was this the first integrated women's team or had there, had there been, cause it's very, um, you know, when you see, when you see the photos, it's, it's, right. it's fascinating, you know, you don't, it's just something we take for granted today, but back then it was a big deal. And Louise and some of her um, other African-American teammates were even discriminated on the ship going across, which oh, I yeah. was so... Absolutely. Like, it's so heartbreaking. Like they were they were like sent down to steerage, basically. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And and the same thing happens in 32 as well. When mm-hmm. Louise and Tidy uh Pickett both have qualified for 1932. They're both African American women. And um so they were at the 1932 games as well. Mm-hmm. And again, at 1936, uh, Black men had been competing much earlier and had won medals early mm-hmm. in the 1900s. But women, Louise and Tidy really do uh, pioneer the way for all of the women who will follow behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice Coachman, who ends up being the first woman, uh, African-American woman to win a gold medal eventually. I mean, Louise and Tidy, the the discomforts, the confrontations, the... Uh, the, the things they encountered, the obstacles they encountered really do um that help them set the set the path for everyone else to come. Right. And
2: you did, I mean, your research was so amazing. Um you went you went and visited where Louise ran, didn't I did. you? And, I and now did. it's it's like <laughs>
1: overgrown. And, well, yeah, but it's, it's so it, it's this path. She ran along a railroad track that right. runs partly through Malden, Massachusetts. And part of it is now it's been turned into kind of like a running trail. But wow. part of the tracks, you can see the tracks running through like a strip mall. And they've been mostly paved over. And so I walked along those and took pictures. But but yes, I did. I traveled to Malden and to Chicago and to uh, Missouri to visit Fulton and, and see Helen's old uh, track track. Costume from uh, oh my the, gosh the, yeah her and they're not the sh- like they are today they're like oh, these no. Wool and no like- they were wool well, exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah there like were no saggy fit fits things. And, <laughs> right right their shoes I mean I got to hold Helen's size twelve track shoes oh my um, gosh yeah so I did feel like it was really important to go uh, and read Helen's handwritten diary mm-hmm. from the Olympics and and meet. Um, I've talked on the phone with people who knew some of these women. I've worked with Helen Stevens, biographer. Mm -hmm. I've talked to Betty's granddaughter. It's amazing. Um, Yes. And so Louise is actually the one who there's probably the least known about Mm -hmm. her. The records are really incomplete. And so that's certainly where some fiction takes place. But I did work with a reporter who had done a couple stories for her about for the Boston Globe. And he was so generous in that he sent me this file that had to have been about three inches thick that he had created from visiting the Malden public library. And he must've spent days on microfiche taking, you know, getting images of all these articles. (laughs) And he so generously sent me his whole file to make copies of so I could use his info. Yeah. So a lot of people chipped in archivists in various cities to send me yearbooks and, um, it's really a Northwestern, at the University of Northwestern, he sent me a bunch of newspaper stories from the school paper. So a lot of people chipped in to send me really helpful pieces that just helped me assemble an idea of what these women's lives were like, just because there's so little really known about them overall.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I what I... I was fascinated. So there's so much about each of them that that fascinated me. But I want you to talk a little bit about – there's a couple of things that happened. First, Helen actually meets Hitler.
1: Yes. (laughs) And she writes about
2: it in her diary. And it's just – to me, that is just like the most surreal kind
1: of thing that could happen. Helen was so interesting because she'd actually read Mein Kampf before she left for Berlin. Mm -hmm. She was a real – she was very interested in history and reading and which in some ways was sort of incongruous with this tomboyish jock, but she. Mm-hmm. She was very academic in some ways, and she knew what was happening. I mean, a lot of the other athletes really didn't understand the political dynamics at work, mm-hmm. um, and there had been a big boycott effort in place to um, that a lot of people felt like America shouldn't send a team to Berlin, because, including the diplomats, who the American mm-hmm. diplomats who were in Berlin, just did not feel like we should be supporting this whole mm. uh, Hitler's regime. And so, but many of the athletes they just wanted to run. They had been training. This was their big opportunity to to have a moment on the world stage. And so, a lot of them were kind of oblivious. But Helen wasn't, and she actually had told people that she knew she was going to meet Hitler when she left, which oh. is very prescient of her. And yeah, and sure enough. Uh, the first couple of Olympic events in Berlin, Hitler did try to meet the athletes, and he was promptly discouraged, partly because he was just slowing things down so much. And he was also meeting people very much, his own politics were showing of who he wanted to meet. So the Olympic officials told him he was actually could not continue to meet the gold medalists and things. So he backed off of that. But sure enough, after Helen, you know, a few days into the Olympics, has won her first gold medal. He does request to meet her, and he goes on to invite her for a weekend away with him. Oh, (laughs) God. I know. It's horrifying. I know. And he gropes her. I mean, it really is an amazing moment in history that absolutely horrified her and and the few people who were there kind of watching. But she did have him sign her autograph book. She had the presence of mind to do that. And uh, a picture was taken of them. Right. Together.
2: Because I've seen the picture yeah. and I put them on the Library Love Fest. Great. And then Betty had this crazy story too where yes. she – I mean, it's just like the
1: it, – You couldn't make it up, you right? You couldn't make this she, one up. Betty's come back from Amsterdam. She is sort of – at this point, she's now famous. And she is training for 1932. She is planning to uh, run. She eventually wants to be an Olympic coach. She kind of sees her whole life unfolding because of this experience she's had in 1928, and just Chicago is experiencing a heat wave uh, in 1931. And she goes up in a plane with her cousin to stay cool because I guess that's what you did. That's what you do. I, guess, I know, and it crashes, and. She is told, well, first of all, let me back up. She's actually left for dead when they find Be- the the two Betty and her cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cousin is visibly alive like he's still kind of moaning and groaning. <laughs> he is sent off to the hospital. but Betty is sent to the undertakers. They think yeah. she's dead and it's not until he sees her chest moving that he realizes she's alive and she's broken both legs and her arm and So she's sent off to the hospital and has a lengthy recovery and is told, you'll be lucky to ever walk again, much less run. But boy, Betty was, you know, she never took no for an answer. And that was something when I watched her granddaughter do a a video, I watched her Mm -hmm. do something on YouTube, a, a speech, and she had said, my grandmother never took no for an answer. And that really shaped this woman as I imagined her. One change I actually did make in the novel was in real life that crash does happen in 1931 as I said but and I'm very clear about this in the author's note mm-hmm. I moved it to 1932 because it it just builds more tension right before right. that team is being assembled for 1932 and I figured readers read the 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 spirit of the story is all still there it's readers would know because it's yes. just so amazing.
2: So what happens to um you know, and and this won't give away things in the books, everybody, I promise, you know, what were their lives like after the Olympics? Because now, you know, you think like, Everyone's on the Wheaties box. Right. And
1: the, yeah. Right. There was no model for that, it, it, including yeah. for the men too. I mean, a yeah. lot of the women swimmers, interestingly enough, would end up with film contracts. That was, you know, a gal in a bathing suit was was appealing.
2: Well, Esther Williams, this is yeah. an aside and and a very nerdy thing to know, was supposed to go to the Olympics, but then there was World War II happened. And right. Then she right. ended up becoming a swimming star. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. The war really... Um, Halts in many ways, sort of women's progress in sporting, Mm. because the Olympics do go away for several years. But um, Betty comes home and uh, she marries and has her has a few children and and gives motivational talks throughout Chicago. And she remains friends with Jesse Owens and their families. They would meet for lunch occasionally. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and Louise kind of settles into a quiet existence. She marries a professional cricket player. Uh, and she, her love of sports never, never goes away. She starts the women's colored bowling league and becomes a bowling champion. And, and Helen is probably the most, uh, you know, I hate to say interesting because they're all interesting, but Helen really refuses to settle into conventional life for women mm-hmm. of wifehood and motherhood. And she really tries to make a go of being a professional athlete. With with no one to, I mean, there were no Simone Biles like contracts or Serena Williams. I mean, none of that existed back then. So so Helen's really blazing her own trail here, and it, and it wasn't easy. She travels around the country uh, with a basketball team, a semi professional basketball team. She eventually becomes a part time owner of one of these teams, but but she really struggles to find what she can do to use these remarkable abilities she has. She does eventually take a job as a research librarian, and she really dedicates her entire life to promoting women's participation in, in sports. And she continues to race as kind of a senior and master's and all these different levels uh, throughout the rest of her life and was participates in Missouri's uh, sports, like the Show Me Games, Show Me State Games. Um, and she continued to advocate to allow women to participate in events because when we talk about women being allowed to start track and field in 1928 they're really uh, competing at a very small level number of events and and actually like the 800 meter is one of these first events but when the women all finish it, all the mm-hmm. reporters there thought they looked so tired and <laughs> like they might faint that it was – They probably were. But... You know, well, and so were the men too, right? Right, it, exactly. This is a tough event. And so they cancel the 800 for the next few Olympics. It really doesn't return until 1960. Uh, the women's marathon isn't even added till 1984. So oh women's track and field events were very slowly widening. And and all that while, Helen was advocating for all of this, for, for more participation. I mean, today, the number of, of events open to men and women is still not equal. Women still compete in fewer events in the Olympics than men do. And so efforts are still underway to try to even this I did this not up. know that. Yes. That is, wow. I did not yeah. know that. I know you know one thing that really has amazed me while working on this is that none of these women from 1936 and none of them are in the Olympic Hall Track and Fame. I mean they mm. they're really um, very they should be household names and clearly both of our opinions. Yes. but they're they're really not. In fact, Betty talks about once she was pouring cereal or something and and this little thing tumbled out of the cereal box for her, for her kids and it was. A card that was called that was labeled "sports oddities," and she was the sport oddity on that. Oh my god! Yeah, as this sort of strange case of a woman running and being successful, and and I, I really can't emphasize enough how these women were seen as as real outliers. And and while Betty was heralded as this golden girl many of the others were definitely not. I mean, running was considered pretty low class. And who wanted to see women looking tired and, and working hard and exhaustion written across their faces? That just wasn't something the American public was saying they wanted to see. And so these women really have an uphill battle. I think um, there were these other events like swimming and diving were known as sort of the aesthetically pleasing events and
2: well it's still sort of that way a little bit isn't it i mean i think it is gymnastics people really love the gymnastics and they're so tiny and they're so pretty i know and they're certainly very i mean they're amazing athletes and they're really super strong and but often that's down played yes i think it is and everyone loves the figure skaters again yeah i can't I can't even get around on like a tiny blade and skate. So
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's you funny. Know I, grew up, I grew so up, I grew up, my Olympic thing. passion comes from figure skating. I, right skated as a young girl, and really oh. wanted to be Peggy Fleming. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and and so after years of – I've played sports my entire life, and mm-hmm. through everything I did, kind of thought, oh, could I end up at the Olympics for this? Short answer, no. <laughs> and, and so it really wasn't until I started working on this book that I realized this is how I'm finally going to get to the Olympics <laughs> as a novelist, imagining 1928, 32, and 36, because I think it's time to give up the dream that I'm actually going to be competing in the <laughs> Well, I never had that dream. <laughs> oh As boy, I did. I love content- the Olympics. Say. I used to write to Olympians. I had a letter from Kitty and Peter Carruthers who were oh, my God. pair skaters and outside I remember them. <laughs> yeah, I was obsessed with all of it. I love them. I love the Olympics. I watch every year. Every year they're held. Um, and and I, they are remarkable. and they are coming soon. They are <laughs> next summer in Tokyo. Us. Yeah. I know. I know.
2: I watch the I am the least athletic person. I was the <laughs> one I found every way to get out of gym class <laughs> oh. when I was in high school. And yet I still am obsessed with yeah. watching the Olympics. So I Well, think the
1: Olympics so- are so special. And and you know, it's funny. You definitely don't have to be like a sports fan to appreciate these stories because yeah. more often than not, sports reflect what's happening in society. And that's why the stories of Muhammad Ali and Jesse Owens and uh, Louise Zamperini and Helen Stevens and Betty Robinson and Althea Gibson. I mean, a lot of these these athletes, they're so remarkable because they're showing, they're giving us a little insight into what's happening all over mm-hmm. the country as as women and African-Americans are fighting to be included in more and more aspects of American life on equal footing. Sports give us a great look into that kind of thing, and and they really set up that primal battle, right, of right. Uh, where the stakes are high. And so I definitely think you don't have to be a sports fan to enjoy these stories. They're really stories of human resilience and, and remarkable achievement.
2: So... Um... We could talk so long about I know, this book. I know. And um, just to tell everybody, it's on sale um, July 7th. Yeah. In,
1: right
2: before the Olympics. Everyone can warm up. Before the Olympics. Yeah. Yes, we- yeah. We're smart. We planned it that way. <laughs> and, and it's just, it, it's, there's, you know, like I said, we could just keep talking about it. It's so fascinating. It's so yeah. wonderful. It's such a, it's such a great, you know, novel. I think people come to I historical think, yeah. novels. They want to read about um, amazing stories that maybe they know a little bit about or that they haven't heard anything right. about. I think there are so many great women's stories that have right. gone untold. Agreed. And Agreed. Fast Girls tells the story of not just these three women, but there are so many, you know, yes. like, like best supporting
1: characters. Yes. There's a, there's a broad range of these athletes, great. both women and male. and And yeah, I mean, this is a story that Hopefully, will resonate with people with all kinds of interests. And the best compliment I always can get from a reader is when they said, "Oh, I I loved reading your book, and I found it so entertaining, and I learned so much." And I'm always like, "Yes, yes that's exactly." I love to sneak in learning <laughs> into the I fun. Uh... I mean, I think that's my high school teaching background. If people <laughs> can have a good time learning, and also, um, yeah, really feel like they've 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 come out with all kinds of new knowledge while having fun doing so. That's that's the dream, in my opinion.
2: It's great. And I think that for librarians, this is great yes. if for your book groups. This is great right. for um, like I would encourage teen readers, you know, sometimes um like like advanced teen readers who can, you know, um who want kind of a meatier or bigger yeah. book to read. It it's perfect for them. It's it it's also great. Like I often find as we're we're sort of saying, you know, fiction can be the jumping off point to do to discover things in the nonfiction oh, yeah. world. So if Absolutely. people are interested. And doing more research, you know, they read this novel, and then they they might go and look up somebody. So Absolutely, good for, ter- good for term paper ideas. Right? Um, no, you <laughs> know, it's true.
1: This book came out of my daughter, one of my younger daughter's fourth grade project. She had to do. She had to do this biography project where she had to pick a famous American who had made a significant contribution, and she picked Trudy Ederly. Do you know who Trudy Ederly was? She was the first woman to swim the English Channel. Exactly. Yes. And, and my daughter's a swimmer. And so she picked this. And as I was helping her do some research, I thought, yes, what is the story on other women athletes? And, and there is such an amazing, uh, the uh, history is amazing and it ties into, into suffered, the suffragettes and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. So I think there are a lot of different directions that, that these characters and Fast Girls can take us off in for sure. It's wonderful wonderful novel and Thank
2: before you. we go we have like maybe three minutes I okay. just want to talk touch really fast you this is your third novel that we've it worked is. on together yes. and the first one that we worked on together is the other Alcott and I'm bringing this up because the movie little the movie. another version of little women is coming up yeah and the other the other Alcott is basically about uh, May it who is a sister and she's the the um, She's the Amy in Little Women, yes, but there's yes. so, much, so more, much more to her. I would say so
1: much more to her. Yes. People... She is the, you know, the Alcott sisters are that rare case. I mean, usually a, a very accomplished historical woman is often overlooked in favor of her husband or father or mm-hmm. lover or whatever. And in this case, this May Alcott is this very significant Person in the art history world who's really been overshadowed by this more famous older sister. I mean, a woman overshadowing another woman, which is pretty amazing for the times. And yes, these two women had an amazing dynamic, really interesting relationship where they were sisters and so strong with each other. But but you know, they they were two ambitious, tenacious women who who were at odds on a few things. So it's it that was a really. A, a story that started as a real Alcott passion project for me. Mm-hmm. I had grown up near Orchard House and Concord Mass and was always interested in little women and but it really became an exploration of women artists and and their lives. And so there was a lot there for me to learn i. It's it's so delightful. We could do
2: another half an hour on it, yeah. and I and <laughs> I can't. <laughs> right, I can't. And the and the other one, very quickly, learning to see, which is about Dorothea Lange, and she's yes. the photographer. She's also experiencing a resurgence. Yes, and she's going to have a big exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art here in New York. Right, Soon, I can't wait. You told me when. Yeah, it spring. starts in February,
1: and yep. it'll run through early May. And
2: she was a fasci- another strong, fascinating, artistic woman who had to um, – and I'm being real quick – had to balance um, – people mention this to me about the book all the time. And it, it, it kind of – it's interesting because it wasn't the thing that I fixated on, right. but it had to balance um, her life as a mother and yes. a wife with being, um, you know, a woman um, right. with a there career no in the There were no role arts. models for her, that's for yes, sure. She no really had to forge
1: for her. her own way. And, you know, everyone recognizes uh, Migrant Mother, which is Dorothea's most famous Mm -hmm. photograph, a really iconic photo in American history. Everyone Mm -hmm. recognizes that photo. But no one knows anything about the woman who took it. And so, yes, exploring Dorothea's story, she has a an amazing journey uh, in the course of her life, also lives during such a fascinating time period. And so – I learned so and much on that one too. Learned so
2: much on that one too. Right. We could talk again. That would be like another right. half an hour. I but know. I think we're going to have to wrap up. Well, this is um, so great.
1: Thank which you. Which was so
2: great. I know. And and um, so I, I don't know. I guess in closing, um, I was I'm like, mention the book again Fast Girls, <laughs> <laughs> Elise Hooper on sale yes. July 7th. And Thank you so much oh, for taking the time. it's been my pleasure. Thank you talk. so it's much for so having much fun, me. Right? I
1: love talking about all these women. And I feel like we should all know so much more about all of them and more. There are just so many great stories about so women. So many great do. stories yes. to tell. Yes. So
2: thank, thank you for joining thank us. And, and, and yes, and at least beginning to talk about the stories of these amazing and remarkable women.
0: Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library LibraryLoveFest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at HarperCollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.